sword drill, and she got there first, page 698, Blue Bible. Right, we call it sword drill because this is our sword, right? Old Sunday school days. Okay. Um, let's take a look at this passage here. So, Matthew 21, we're going to be in verse 18. And our focus for this morning is only going to be on one verse. So that means that translates to probably not a super long message. Right? But may be very powerful. Hopefully very powerful. That's what we want. But we'll read this little section anyways, even though we're really going to focus on one verse. It says, Early in the morning, as he was on his way back to the city, we're talking about Jesus, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, May you never bear fruit again. Immediately the tree withered. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly, they asked. So Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. If you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but you can also say to this mountain, Go, throw yourself into the sea, and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. So God, again, we just ask that this time belongs to you. Holy Spirit, we need a good understanding. Jesus, right now you sit in heaven at the, on your throne, the right hand side of God, and you know what your intent was when you cursed this fig tree. And so we want to better understand that, and we want to better understand how we can apply it to our lives today right now, for the rest of this week. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak through me. That would certainly be your words and not just mine. Pray that you'd just be with Linda downstairs with the kids as they plant seeds and talk about your love, Lord. So God, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Alright, the title of the message is Fruit Bearing Season, right? Fruit Bearing Season. Um, anybody go apple picking yet? How many people actually go apple picking in here? Only a few, really. Wow, I like going apple picking. Um, so yeah, you get, we got to go pretty soon. So September here, really peak is like in another couple of weeks. And I don't know about you, but definitely the best apple is um, Honeycrisp. That's the best one, so... I'm sorry for everybody else, but <laughs> honey crisp, honey crisp, really good. Um, yeah, so fruit bearing season. So it's kind of appropriate that we're going to be talking about like fruit and trees and pruning and gardening and agriculture, talking about some of this stuff this morning. Um, this passage that we're looking at, Matthew 21, it's also in Mark 11. Uh, verses 11 through 14, if you want to read it later this week and see what Mark's take is on it. It's pretty similar to Matthew's. It doesn't really change a whole lot. But you can read that later this week. Uh, But let me start off with this topic. The topic of expectations. Expectations. Expectations is a very big part of life. And depending upon the type of person that we are, if we're not really good at expectations, 
uh, we can really go up and down a lot, and life could really be like a roller coaster. Thinking something would be one way, or look some way, or somebody would treat me some way, and then they don't, that could really take us for a ride, you know, for a long time. And the idea with expectations is that if we can properly see and expect what might be coming down the pike, whether it be situations or other people, um, that helps us to properly anticipate what we might have to do or how we might have to talk or where we might have to go. It helps make things a lot more clear. And I know during premarital counseling, that topic of expectations always comes up. And um, it's very beneficial. That's one of the, really the biggest things about premarital counseling is that uh, we get to discuss any expectations that might be there. Because sooner or later, um, the uh, super high romantic love of infatuation and just you know, excited to get an email, like, that's going to wear off after a little while. And we need to start talking about and thinking about what this marriage thing is really all about. And so we talk about expectations. And, you know, you have the bride, you know, coming with some expectations in the groom. And many times it's from their own background of what they saw their parents do. And uh, we get into a lot of good you know, conversations there. And, and I remember Julie and I, when we went for premarital counseling, um, we were asked the question about our expectations and we had a session on that. And uh, I, I remember them asking, so like, what expectations do you have of your marriage? How would you like it to look? And Julie, we looked at each other first and we're like, you know, shrugged our shoulders. And I, I don't know. Um, we know that we want God to be first. We know that hopefully we're a couple that prays together. Um, outside of that, not really sure. But as time went on, I found out that I definitely did have expectations. But I, for whatever reason, I, I, I didn't know it or I couldn't verbalize it prior before. But now that I am seeing things in marriage that I'm not really liking and I didn't really expect. I'm like, oh, this is an expectation that I had. And so sometimes that could lead to some, you know, a little bit of headbutting going on and now talking through those issues. Spiritually, expectations are very important as well. Um, Shakespeare had a quote. He said, you know, expectation is the root of all heartache. That's what Shakespeare said. And we're going to find out this morning that it even carries a little bit more weight than just heartache. Um, there's this uh, movie quote um, from uh, Dodgeball. Anybody see Dodgeball? It's not a great movie. And I'm not really proud that I saw it. Okay? I'm not proud. But as I was thinking about this topic of expectations and, um, you know, goals in life, there's this scene, you know, that happens between um, this guy who has a gym that's failing and he owes all of this money. And basically, there's this banker woman that's coming to help try and figure it out. And basically, they need to come up with a certain amount of money so that way they can save their gym. And when she comes in to go through all the paperwork and check everything out, his stuff is just a mess. And, you know, she opens the closet and all this paperwork falls out of all these shoe boxes. And she's, 
He's like, what is this? And he's like, you know, those are what I call keepers. You know, <laughs> all his financial statements. He's just calling keepers and he just throws them right in there. And so they're going through this conversation and I had to write it down so I didn't really screw it up. Um, and so she says to him, she goes, you know, I'm curious, is it strictly apathy or do you really not have a goal in life? And he goes, I found that if you have a goal, you might not reach it. But if you don't have one, you're never disappointed. And she goes, and then he goes, I got to tell you, it feels pretty phenomenal. And then she goes, well, I guess that makes sense in a really sad way. And I remember, you know, laughing and seeing that. And what made me laugh even more is I remember growing up with a friend of mine in high school. Who, this is like his mentality, this is like his life mentality. Never set a goal. That way you just end up wherever and it's always good. And I'm like, oh, no, like that's just, that, that's not it. Um, but, you know, going back to what I mentioned before earlier, you know, talking with a friend of mine, as far as expectations, and we happen to be talking about God, unfortunately for him, and I feel like for a lot of my friends, their expectations um, from God for them is just to sort of include him. Just like include him. And I, and I remember this particular person saying, oh, well, I didn't, weren't really going to church, but I still pray. And I'm like, yeah. And just like the way that we were talking, the conversation we were having, it was just like, God was kind of thrown in there. And it was thought about. But it was radical to think that maybe God has an expectation for you to live out according to a holy God. That was like, really, there's more than that? And, and it seems to me that so many times, and maybe it seems to you, that some people might think that God is like the tip jar at the restaurant. Like you just, you know, you throw in, you know, kind of whatever and whenever, and God is just kind of like, hey, at least he's throwing me something. That's not necessarily the way that it goes. And our passage helps shine some light as far as what God expects from us. Because for those of us that are Christians and say that we're Christ followers, it should matter to us what God expects from us. That should be a pretty dominating thought in the forefront of our minds. So this morning, we're going to just tackle just a couple of those things. This morning, right from this passage. That, and as we look at those, it'll help make this passage make a little bit more sense. And hopefully, it'll help equip us a little bit better with what, okay, it's clear to me now what God is expecting from me. Wouldn't that be helpful? I know it's helpful to me. I know this past week it blessed me to like think about that more and pray about that and write it down. And It's good. It's good. And what's really awesome about all that is you see at the very end how so much of his expectations is rooted in so much love and in so much grace. And I can tell you that. And great, whatever. But until God shows you and tells you that personally, that's really what changes the ballgame. So let's take a look at the passage a little bit closer here. And um, we'll take a look at it. So verse 18, it says, Early in the morning. And this is all right after Jesus rides into Jerusalem. This is a big time week. There's going to be a lot going down. He's going to the cross at the end of the week. And He comes in. They're praising Him. Beginning of the week. Crucify Him at the end of the week. After He drives in, 
He goes right to the temple, probably to worship, do some prayer time, go see some people. In fact, uh, we know from the Word that he actually went there to be around people and to go heal them. And while he walked in there, he noticed that people were just basically treating church, for lack of a better term, like a money market. And they were just charging a ton of money for sacrifices. And uh, Jesus was not happy about it. And he went in there and flipped tables and was very aggressive about the things of God. And that's what we talked about last week. Is that Jesus' aggression and his anger was not sinful because he did not sin in his heart when he did it. But also, it was focused and driven by protection and provision of what God had set in place. And so we talked last week about how we need to have that protection and provision as far as what God has said. And that's important. So last week we talked about that and how to live that out a little bit. And so after this event takes place, now he's walking um, early in the morning. So he's on his way back to the city. So he left Jerusalem, uh, or uh, the city where he was. Now he's coming back and it says that he's hungry. Which is inter- interesting when I see that too. Like Sometimes you might think that Jesus is like this superhuman that didn't really suffer or struggle like us. He wasn't tempted, you know, like we are and didn't have the kind of thoughts that we had and didn't really battle, you know, maybe thoughts and feelings of, you know, loneliness or isolation or maybe depression or whatever it might be. But the Word says that He did. And so what we do is we believe that in faith that He really did suffer and believe like that. And this is a small example, you know, this guy's hungry. And many times, like we can also read when Jesus fasted. Oh, Jesus is fasting. You know, great. Like that wasn't a huge sacrifice for Him. And uh, of course it was. It was a sacrifice you know, like it is for us. So it says he's early in the morning, he's on his way back to the city, and he's hungry. So here's this strange scene in verse 19. Seeing a fig tree by the road, uh, he, sees not, he found nothing on it except for leaves. Everybody say leaves. Like that's important, that's, that's all he saw on there. That's, that's strange. It says, then he said to it, may it never bear fruit again immediately the tree withered and just died right in front of them. Which that must have been crazy to see. And the disciples thought that was crazy to see. They never saw anything die that fast and that quickly and just shrivel up and just go. That's what was amazing to them. So right away, the immediate question I think most people think by reading that is like, what is going on? Are we seeing angry Jesus again? Like why does he seem to just be walking? He's hungry and I think maybe most guys can relate to doing whatever and being hungry and then not having the food there or being ready. And maybe we're not at our best when it's not ready. Maybe. Not like it ever happens to me, but I've heard some guys have that issue. So question is, why is Jesus mad at the tree? Like, why is he taking it out on this tree? Like, what is the deal? Well, I want to take a look at that real quick. Um... At this particular time, you know figs? Everybody say figs. This is, fig is a pretty important illustration in the Bible. Figs, olives, uh, grapes, vineyards, symbolically, they're very important. And if you may remember, you know, when Adam and Eve got in trouble, and they weren't listening, uh, as soon as they sinned, and they realized they were naked, 
They went and grabbed what kind of leaves? They grabbed fig leaves, right? And all through the Bible, um, figs and olives and vineyards, um, they were used uh, as a term to describe like prosperity and a good position and posture before the Lord. When they were in abundance, things were good. And, and the way God would use to describe things being good is that the figs would be on the trees, um, their olives would be also on the trees, their vineyards would be overflowing. There's the imagery that would be using. And then when things were not so good, they'd say that you know these trees are empty, they're barren, it's not flowing. And many times through the scripture, the nation of Israel, and you could do some homework this week if you'd like, if you'd like to do some extra reading, go for it. In Isaiah and in Jeremiah, you'll find a couple of passages, at least those two places, there's more, where God is referring to the nation of Israel in a symbolic way using fig trees. And so this issue here is really more of like a teaching type time for the disciples about a much bigger picture than just no figs right now on the tree. What he's doing is he's bringing uh, judgment on the nation of Israel. And he's relating that fig tree to the nation. He's saying, hey listen, um, this fig tree is like this entire nation. It's full of leaves, but there is no fruit. And so the nation got really good at appearances. Walking the walk, talking the talk, knowing who to say, what to read, even how to bring up the conversation, how to have long, eloquent prayers, all the right money to give. They become very, very good at playing church and playing Christianity. And that was something that Jesus did not like and not tolerate well. And so the very first insight that we see about this like fruitless fig tree that's very that should be eye-opening for us is that number one, there is an expiration date when it comes to fruit. And I think we know that, right? You can't have fruit in your house, you know, forever. There's an expiration date. There also is an expiration date with God regarding us. That's true. That's what the Bible says. And at this point in time, with this tree, that was it. He was showing that illustration. See, because this particular fig tree, it's kind of interesting, I did a lot of homework on figs this week, but this particular fig tree at this time of year, uh, it's like early spring, around April, around Passover time, so it's April, and uh, they really don't, um, you really get like two harvests from them in like June and August, so it even really shouldn't be blooming big time with figs yet. But for this particular tree, it should have had some sort of like little guys in there. And there's a, little, there's a Hebrew word for them, and I forgot. But there should have been some little figs growing in there under those leaves. And for whatever reason, you know, it was not. And it just helped to paint the picture more clearly that having leaves is not what it's about. There should be some fruit under there. And I remember reading a uh, quote this week uh, by Spurgeon. He said, The first Adam came looking for fig leaves. Right, because he messed up. The second Adam, he's going to come looking for figs. It's very true. 
So, we're doing all this fruit talk. Fruity Christians, right? We're doing all this fruit talk. We mean that in the best sense of the word. Realize what we're in this day and age. Fruity Christians. So, I think there's two things we should really address and talk about. Number one, what is like fruit as a Christian? Because apparently it's very important. And there is an expiration date. So, like, what is fruit? What are we talking about? Pumpkin pie, apple, apple pie, whatever, you know, fruit. And then the second question is, where it hits us home is, how can I tell if I am bearing fruit or not? That's one we definitely want. Don't you want to, like, get a better handle on that one? I know I do. So take a look at those two questions, and that's it for us. So question number one is, what is fruit? What kind of fruit are we talking about? So I have a slide here, John 15, verses 5 through 8. What is fruit? The fruit that we are talking about is spiritually based. This is what we're talking about. So John, hopefully he can get it up here. John 15, verses 5 through 8. Yeah, it'll be after that one. And you know what? You could pause there for a second. Just to further get our point across that there's like expiration date on the fruit, just so you don't think it's my opinion. Because I, I, you know, when I'm up here, I'm not trying to you know, preach and talk about my opinion because that's not what it's about. It's about what the Word says. And so, expiration date, look at some of these passages that Jesus Himself said. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. It's an expiration date. Matthew 7, 19. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. And this last one here, he cuts off every branch that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so it will be even more fruitful. Sometimes it's hard to tell, right, if he's cutting us off or pruning us, because pruning doesn't feel so good either. So we need some spiritual skills to be able to decipher between the two. But nonetheless, all those passages, there's an expiration date. At some point, he's cutting it down, he's cutting it off. So, back to what is fruit. Like, what is fruit? There seems to be a lot of emphasis. He's talking about fruit, using this illustration, it's symbolic. What are we talking about? So, John 15, on that slide. Okay, let's go to the Bibles then. Let's all turn there. We can all do that, right? So John 15. So you're going to go to the right in your Bible. And we're going to be in verse 5. And when you get that one, you can call it the page number on that one. John 15, 5. 119 in the white guy? 119 in the white? 764 in the blue? See, I threw a curveball on you. We got another passage, so... uh, Keeping you honest. 764 in the blue, you said? And then 119 in the white? Okay. So John 15, verse 5. Again, we're trying to think about what is fruit? What are we even talking about? We know we can go outside and like go pick some fruit, but what is Jesus talking about when He says we're supposed to bear fruit and then if we don't, He cuts us off? So John 15, verses 5 through 8. Here we go. Jesus says, here's his illustration, here's his answer to the fruit question. I am the vine, you are the branches. Everybody say branches. Look at your neighbor and say, you are the branches. 
That's what we are. We're branches, right? That's just what we are. It says, If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you could do nothing. Everybody say abide. Abide. That's in some versions we have remains in. Verse 6, if anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish. This is the verse everybody likes, but they never like reading before it. Ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So fruit is something that is only produced as we remain in Christ. This is the kind of fruit that we're talking about. It's something that only happens when we're connected to Jesus Himself. So for us to think that somehow, in our own strength and own resources, we could bear fruit of eternal weight is kind of silly. Because Jesus says it right there. That's the only way we actually bear fruit. And then Jesus says something interesting. He says, apart from me, you could do nothing. Which, practically, like, that's not really true, right? I mean, we can go get jobs. There's even people, right, that can get, you know, cleaned up, you know, from alcohol, apart from God. There's a select few that can go to programs and have a huge intervention by God Himself and maybe get free of that bondage, of that kind of addiction. Uh, addiction. Um, there are people that can handle certain illnesses by having a really positive, optimistic you know, mindset and surround themselves with other people like that. So that they could do that. But the central issue is still this issue of sin that needs to be dealt with. And then like having God's glory shine through their life. See, the difference is like bearing fruit for God, having uh, our lives shine for God. And then the other way, we're like, ourselves are at the center. It's very different. So Jesus says, apart from me, you could do nothing. You can't bear any fruit for me. And when Jesus said, that's not really a good look come the end when there's no fruit. It just cuts us off. So here's what spiritual fruit is not. It is not a change in maturity as we grow up. So let's just hypothetically say that maybe as I grew up, I was the type of person that was always late. Let's just say that hypothetically. Hypothetically. As I grew up, I was wow, it's important for me to be on time. It's important for me to realize that punctuality is an important issue because, well, one, it sends a signal to wherever I'm going that like, I respect that time and then I have to have a job so I've got to be on time for that and I don't want to get in trouble for that. So it's like, it's an important thing in life. So when I come to that realization... That's not really bearing fruit for Jesus. That's just like me growing up, being more mature. So that, that's not really it. Um, it's not being super optimistic, always trying to see the cup as half full. That's not necessarily um, always um, you know, bearing fruit. Although Jesus does change our minds and our mindsets. But he doesn't just change it to positive and negative, he kind of changes it to holy and unholy. It's different. And to his will and not his will. And many times his will is not always good or easy or comfortable, right? So that all changes. If I all of a sudden come into a bunch of money, a bunch of cash and financial gain, that's not necessarily bearing fruit. 
Sometimes God might do that in our lives, bring us through a season of that. Sometimes He might not. It doesn't change the fact that I'm in the middle of His plan, in the middle of His will. It's very interesting in this passage, though. One way we could definitely tell about this fruit. It said that this is how we are, how we and other people will be able to tell if we're Christians or not. Right? It said that right in there. It says, verse 8, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. This fruit becomes so evident that at some point in time they're like, Wow, I can tell by this fruit, which we'll have to get more specific on in a minute, that they're followers of Jesus. So in the Bible, what is this fruit? Okay? What is this fruit? That's the million dollar question, right? Don't you want to have a better grasp on that and understand that better? So I got a slide up here. I'm going to read some of this too. In the Bible, fruit is, okay? A couple things. And you could read these later this week. I'm not trying to uh, hit you with. Uh, a homiletic machine gun here. Me, I'm not just trying to throw a bunch of Bible verses at you. But I want you to like, think about this stuff and look back at it later. In the Bible, fruit is people's souls. So am I winning souls? Am I leading people to Christ? That's, that's fruit. Gifts that we give to God, for God. Not because I might get anything back, but because I'm giving it to God because it's already His. Or because He's asking for it. That's fruit. Praise that we give. When we come in Sunday mornings or in our car or wherever and we just feel that need to just worship Him. Sometimes I'll just burst out in random song and I'm really glad nobody's around to hear what I'm singing or saying. But there's just like this urge or desire to start singing a song. And what's crazy too is when I start singing, like I can't remember all the words that go to, so I just start making them up. I just start going with stuff. And it gets weird. It gets weird. But it's just, there's just like something stirring out of it. That's fruit. Jesus defines that as fruit. Because I'm responding to what God is like bringing up inside of me. And so like you want to acknowledge that and just say, hey, if it comes out bursting in song, then that's what we do. Holy living how we set ourselves apart from God, that's fruitful. And then the one that many people are familiar with, Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit is right, selflessness, gentleness, patience, self-control, all of those things. They're all character issues. Your character changes a lot when the Holy Spirit gets in there. So what is fruit? Well, it's people's souls. It's how we praise God. It's what we give to God. It's how we live. It's our character. These are all... It's all tied together. So that's what the fruit is that we're actually talking about. So now, the big time question for us. Right? This morning, September 8th. Can you believe it's September? September 8th, 2013. How can I tell if I'm bearing fruit? That's our next question. We talked about what it is. But the question is, how can I tell if I'm bearing fruit? That's what I want to know. It's interesting that a, um, you know, a machine, right? So if we're talking about a factory and machines, you know, a factory and machines, they turn out a product, whatever it might be, 
through you know work, effort, um, turmoil, strain. It's really working. When we're talking about fruit now as a product, and we see a tree, it's very, very different. A tree puts forth fruit patiently, quietly, naturally. Like an apple tree doesn't have to work real hard to produce the apples. It's just, it's just what it is. It's just putting it out. It's very similar for us. When the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts and we profess our faith to Christ, whenever that is, and then we start trying to live our lives in response to the Holy Spirit, what's going to happen is the Holy Spirit now is going to start to work in us. And the goal is for the Christian to let the Holy Spirit work. So there's not a ton of effort or strain. Now there is some effort because sometimes what the Holy Spirit is telling us to do becomes difficult to battle with the flesh. But from the inside, as we just pray and worship God, He starts to just change things. I don't know how He does it. He's just God. I don't know. He does it. Our idea is to respond to it. And so we're supposed to be like that apple tree or fig tree where we just abide in Him and we just produce fruit just from being with Jesus. It's just ooze, it just comes out of us naturally. I don't have to try to fake it. I don't have to try and work it up. Man, it's just coming out naturally because I've been with Jesus. That's the idea of producing fruit. And doesn't that just take some weight off right away? That is nice. Because God's going to do the work. It's up to us to respond to it and have enough courage to respond to that and maybe take some risks maybe where we have to. But He's looking to bear the burden, pull most of the weight. So how can I tell if I'm bearing fruit? Number one is check the Word. That's right away how we can tell if we're bearing fruit. If we went through that list, people's souls, gifts we give to God, praise we give, holy living, character changes, if those things aren't happening, we're probably not bearing a whole lot of fruit. We might be find ourselves in a life that's really kind of centered on ourselves. And, and it's super easy, even as a Christian, to just believe what we want to believe and ignore what we want to ignore. But the Word that does not change does not let us do that. If we choose to let the Word in, that's the big difference. So how can I tell if I'm bearing fruit? Check the Word. We just went through a whole bunch of stuff right there as far as what fruit is and if that's a part of my life or not. We've got to check that. We've got to look at that. The second is to ask God and ask other people. Ask God and other Christians. Hey, listen, like, I, I, you know, some changes are coming into my life. Do I seem different? You know, God has come into my life. Um, does it, can you tell that God is a part of my life? Um, these are questions you want to ask mature Christians around you, around me. This is what I ask people you know, in my life and other pastors. So we have conversations about. Because we always got to check ourselves because it's too easy. I just believe what I want to believe and I don't see what I don't want to see. 
But if I get other people in the mix, and for whatever reason, it's always easier to point out this sin in other people, isn't it? Always is. Always is. So one way we can check the word, that's how we can tell if we're being fruitful. Second way we can tell if we're being fruitful is by asking other people and asking God. And the third way is by doing a really healthy evaluation. I wrote down some things here that might be helpful. I know it's helpful for me. Being a fruitful Christian goes beyond. right? Being a fruitful Christian goes beyond. And I compiled just a, a short little list here that might be helpful to you. Being a fruitful Christian goes beyond Sunday morning attendance. Like I, I know some people too, it's like, well, I still go to church. Like that's the expectation? That's bearing fruit, you know, for the king? Not really, it's just not an attendance. Now the other side of that is, I also know other people where life is caving in. And they are hurting. And they are struggling. And they're getting beat down, trying to get beat down by the enemy. Where he's just trying to keep them away from anything church or God related. And for them to make this step just to get to church and sit in that pew is huge. That's bearing fruit. Because they're taking God's word and they're saying, I can't believe all these thoughts and what's going on. I'm going to take you at your word, Lord, and realize I need to be around your people and your word this morning. That's bearing fruit. But if it's just like roll call as attendance, like that's, that, that's not it. Being nice, being a fruitful Christian is way beyond that. Being positive, being a fruitful Christian is way beyond that. Being a fruitful Christian is way beyond just focusing on my family needs. It's good to focus on my family needs, but a fruitful Christian goes beyond that. Beyond just my friends' needs. Being a fruitful Christian is beyond just even being responsible. When in this day and age, it's like amazing when somebody is even fairly responsible. Where they can pretty much, you know, pay most of their bills on time, you know, or they can, you know, show up on time. When they, when they say something, they'll actually do it. Well, they'll follow through with things. Like, we might think sometimes that that person's a Christian just because they're responsible. Which, how scary is that? Being a fruitful Christian is beyond that. It's beyond that. So now let's get a picture of this. Fruitful Christians are trying to surrender to God 24-7 without focus on their mind, on their brain. I'm not, and I'm saying trying. doesn't mean we're all totally perfect and successful. But we know in order for me to make it through this day, I have to abide in Him. Got to. Fruitful Christians, they deal with issues of the heart before they become actions. I'm trying to attack it here because Jesus said it's not right in here right now. This anger, right? this lust, right? this gossip, this way of thinking, it's not right in here now. i got to deal with it now. Before it becomes an action. Because that's where Jesus set the bar. He didn't say just don't do particular things. He said, man, try not to even think or have it in there. That's what the fruitful Christian does. Fruitful Christian, they are love and they are disciple-focused. Focused on loving people and making disciples. That's what Jesus said before He left. He said, just therefore go out 
baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and make disciples. That's what we're called to do. All of us. Called to go make disciples. I gotta go make disciples at school, at work, and in my faculty, in my neighborhood. You gotta do the same thing. That's our goal. That's our charge. So when we sit before Jesus, he's talking about this whole fruit thing. People's souls is part of it. That's why we need to like, you know, learn how to talk with people, you know, how to communicate well, how to listen to them well. All that stuff plays a huge role in winning souls. Fruitful Christians, they live in this tension between comfort and risk. Because the fruitful Christian understands that my life isn't all about comfort, but sometimes God might bless me with some comfort or bring it into my life, but yet I feel like God might want me to take a risk here and go outside of my comfort zone. Like there's this constant kind of ebb and flow and tension. And if it's never there... We're never feeling that tension, not really being that fruitful. The fruitful Christian, last one, they don't focus on consequences to change behavior, they focus on the roots of the behavior. Because I know, right, at school, right, I'm going down the list. And I'm telling the kids what will happen if they don't do their homework, if they don't turn this in, if they do this, if they do that. And wouldn't it just be great if I just told them the severity of the consequences and it changed their behavior? It's just not the way that this world works. It's not the way we work. Because the Bible says is that we just have lust of the flesh. Many times we want to do what we want to do. And I don't really care What you're saying might happen. I want to do it. How many can relate to that? You're all liars. Come on. Yes, you can relate. Because we do what we just want to do. Right? And the first step is just saying, yeah, like that is the case. And then the next step is, all right, Lord, where am I doing it? Show me where I'm doing it. Because I want to be fruitful for you. I don't want to be fruitful for me. So the goal and the whole deal, right, at the end of the day, we don't want to just be leafy Christians, right? We want some figs under there, some fruit under there. And the name of the game is when John the Baptist was baptizing people. He said this phrase in Matthew 3, 8, which I believe I do have on here. Earlier in Matthew, John the Baptist, when he was baptizing, he said, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. As we live this repentant lifestyle, where we just respond to God and we say, Oh, Lord, I shouldn't be doing that. Yeah, you told me this, but like I've been ignoring you. Or I have been responding to you. I've been delaying in responding to you. Or been putting it off, procrastinating. Right? We need to come to God with that repentance for that stuff. And as we repent, and as we continue to respond, we let that fruit mature and flow out. And sometimes, you know, fruit-bearing season isn't every season. Like, it doesn't happen just all the time, every day. It takes seasons to produce that fruit. You know, sometimes you're just like pruning stuff going on, where God is just taking away the dead branches, cutting off those unhealthy ones over there so it doesn't infect like the rest, you know, of the tree. Sometimes He's doing that. And then the season might come where maybe some more fruitful things are easier to see. So for us, what we did this morning, 
is something that um, now puts us on the hook. We just put ourselves on the hook. It just happened. I don't know if you felt it. You probably didn't, but it just happened. See, because what just happened is we started talking about expectations. Now, it is much more clear, hopefully, of what God expects. And now, when we go stand before God, and it says that we will, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Say, hey, listen. We talked about this stuff. You heard about this stuff. See, the other side of expectations is once we understand better what the expectations are, we're now responsible to act within that. And we can run away from a lot of people and a lot of things, but the one person we can't get away from is God Almighty Himself. So we just got put on the hook this morning. And I also feel like a lot of people, you know, in America with this Bible, an average of four Bibles in their homes, and man, the Word is everywhere. There's a lot of people on a hook. Western society here. Got to step up to the plate. So hopefully we can. So what I want to do is, um, we're going to do one last song, Be Thou My Vision. Because that's like really like the goal here, like the crutch here. You know, we want to have Him as our focus. To just where we're just bearing fruit for Him. You know, because at the end of the day, fruitfulness, it means intentionally and strategically opening up my heart and my life to have the gospel just shine through every part of it. That's what fruitfulness is about. And if there's stuff in the way of that, we've got to bring it before Him and confess it to Him. And that's what this time is here for now, if we need it. So during this song, hopefully we got enough courage to bring it before God and bring our hearts before God. So we're going to cue that song and then we'll come back together and pray. Thy presence, my.